Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. So we are in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, And as I mentioned last week, we're going to go pretty slow through a lot of Hebrews chapter 11 because we're going to take the time to look at all these Old Testament characters and how their faith, what their faith looked like. Uh, If you remember last week, uh, we started this chapter, verses one through three. It's on the podcast. It's also on our YouTube if you're interested in that. Um, But uh, so this week, we're going to continue on with the big theme of faith. Uh, I'm actually going to read verses one through three, and then we'll read verse four because it the first three verses give context into what we're going to into in verse four. So if everyone would stand, if you can, let's stand together and we shall read. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to be able to come together and to read the word together and to study the word together. And as we're entering into looking at what faith looks like, um, knowing that without faith, it's impossible to please you. That makes this a big subject. And so Lord, we pray for clarity and understanding Lord. And um, not just in the mind, but in the heart that we would fully trust you and surrender to you and believe you fully. Um, and see that you're good. You make good on your promises. You are so faithful. And uh, that in, in doing so, we'd relieve ourselves of the stress of holding the whole world together, of trying to keep everything, all the plates spinning at once, and allow you to uh, remain in the position of God in our lives, to be restored to that position even. So we pray that you'd speak to us By your word, through your spirit, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that are soft or that would be softened, Lord, by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated. So Abel, uh, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. This is is going way back. I think the, the author of Hebrews is establishing a theme of faith and faithfulness, and how God doesn't forget any of this. It's all part of the big plan. Um, if you remember the first three chapters of Genesis, the first two are the creation account, uh, how God brought everything to be. He ordered it. Uh, there's so many really cool things in there. If you look at it, like there's all these beautiful pictures and signs and of what God is doing and how he's doing it. And then we see uh, him create man, the greatest of creations, because he'd said, good, everything is good, everything is good, and this is very good. And then he gives man the, uh, the, the task to uh, multiply and to uh, rule and subdue the land. 
But of course, what ends up happening in chapter three, we have the fall. Eve is enticed and she's tricked and Adam does nothing to stop it and just goes right along with them, with her. They're both guilty. And uh, they end up falling. They choose to eat of the, the, the tree that God said not to. The, the one thing, don't touch the stove moment. Whatever you do, don't touch the stove. I mean, have you ever thought, I, you know, I'm thinking of touching the stove. As soon as you hear, don't touch it. One of my children, I won't say who, would do that. Be like, don't touch that. And they'd just be like. And you're like, oh, we are going to fight at some point, you know. And that's part of that, right? It's in us. And so there is this thing where the, the, the serpent comes and basically convinces Eve that God's holding out on her. That, that she could know more, that she could be a part of more, that she can find herself a higher standing and that he doesn't really know best. In fact, you do. And this is actually where sin enters in and this is where faith exits the building. Because as soon as we start thinking we know better, there's no room for faith. Faith is saying, I trust you, everything that you say to be true and I will go wherever you want, us to go, wherever you want me to go. Sin says, Actually, no, I have a better way and this will serve me better and I actually think I know better than you. And we never think of it being so audacious. We don't think of it being such a big, gnarly thing. We just think, I kind of just sin, ah, whatever. But, but when you boil it down, that's really what it comes down to. Is we really do think we know better. So that whole situation happens. They're hiding from God uh, and they're tying fig leaves together to try and make some makeshift clothing. And then what happens? God says, where are you guys? And, and they're like, we hid because we were naked. And he's like, who told you you were naked? You, you've now entered into a world that you were never supposed to know. And it's, it's made things so, so complicated. It's gonna be nothing but complicated from, from now on. And at the very beginning, right when this happens, he makes provision. What does he do? Kills an animal, makes provision, gives them clothing. He recognizes, yeah, you are naked. And yeah, this is a new way we're gonna have to do this. And an animal dies so that you now can live. And God is still providing a way for them. He doesn't throw out all of humanity. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm gonna start over tomorrow. Let's scrap the whole idea. He actually instead gives, he, he, he lets him know that there will be a day when the serpent will be crushed. <clears throat> he says that, you know what? <clears throat> I will make, <clears throat> there goes my voice. <clears throat> what do you have? Oh boy. <clears throat> There's a zinger. Oh yeah, that's coffee. That's good. All right. <clears throat> So right from the beginning. So that's kind of giving you the intro. So now we have, uh, but they're kicked out of the garden. And does anyone know which direction they go? East. East. They're kicked out and they go east of the garden. Keep that in mind because that'll be important as we continue on. So uh, with this new state of being, they no longer can hang out with God like they used to. There's now pain in childbirth. The land is brutal to work. Uh, there's, um, there's death. There's, like, there's all these things that have now entered into the equation. And so their first kids come, Cain and Abel. You can be absolutely assured that they were taught about God. They, they were, these were not atheistic parents, okay? They, like, they would probably talk about like the fact that God exists and that he's good and that um, you should follow him and you should honor him. We believe that because what we're gonna see here in a second. 
Uh, and so they're brought up, they hear all about this, about God. They're, they're set up to where we're, there's some sort of a makeshift um, worship thing that they do. And so we're going to enter into that. All right. So Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. We have it up here, but we're going to be here for a while. This is the story of Cain and Abel. So we're going all the way back. We're going OT here, Old Testament. <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. We'll actually hit 16 too, but it won't be on the screen. <clears throat> now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So um, Cain's the first, then Abel, right? And what are their jobs? What's Cain's job? Tiller of the ground. He's a farmer, yeah. He's working with the fruits and, of the ground and the, and the vegetables and all that, right? And what's Abel's job? like a shepherd, right? He's dealing with the animals. Um, so these, this is their two roles. That makes sense. This is part of the ruling and subduing of the land, you know, and he has his sheep and all this and that. So, uh, and in the process of time, now the idea of in the process of time was that this was a known time that they would gather together, would do what would be a worship, a time of worship where they would try and come before God. And it's before the law. It's before Abraham, before a lot of the other sacrifices. There was a, a, a place for sacrifice. Well, where do we see the sacrifice start with? We mentioned it a few minutes ago. The clothing, right? There's, there was death that would cover them. Because of the death of this animal, they were now, in a sense, covered. And uh, if you've been with us any form of time, we know Hebrews is constantly going back between the Old Testament and the New Testament, encouraging believers, don't go back to the old. There's nothing there anymore. Jesus is so much better than that. And that the law, what it would do is if you would sacrifice these animals, you do all these things, it would, it would cover your sin, but it wouldn't deal with it completely. It would cover it, but it couldn't make you free. You weren't actually forgiven in the sense of like debt been paid. It was a covering. And so the same thing, when we see this animal that's killed to become clothing, what is clothing? A covering. And so they, they had a, this concept right away that sin makes things really messy and really gnarly. And uh, we talked a while back when we were talking about the tabernacle and the temple and that they had like a kind of a primitive plumbing system for, to deal with all the excess blood and body parts. I mean, it was gnarly. It was a bloodbath and we go, oh, that's really, you know, wow, I feel really that's like such a sacred thing. And it's like, no, you're supposed to be shocked and in horror and in awe and, and grieved by the gnarliness of sin. The de you're never supposed to get used to the death. But this death was a sacrifice for them so that they could be clothed. So in the process of time, it came to pass as they're bringing their offerings before the Lord, we don't know exactly what that looked like, how they did that. Uh, like, you know, whatever. Did they have a church service, you know, do three, four songs up front and then, you know, they did not. <laughs> so it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So what... Does this make sense? I mean, when you hear this, 
what does Cain do? He's a farmer. He works with the fruit. So what does he do? He brings what he has. Hey, I'm bringing some fruits to the Lord. Uh, does God not accept those kind of offerings? Well, there's grain offerings. I mean, that, that's, that's part of the Levitical law. They, he accepts grain offerings in a sense, right? Uh, but, and what does Abel do? Well, he takes care of the sheep. So, of course, he brought in, you know, a sheep. That's what he brought in. So everything should be good, right? No. <laughs> so Abel brought in the firstborn of the flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. What is this about? This is, this is a lot of people have very differing opinions on this. And I think whichever way you go on it, the heart of it stays the same. So a lot of, what are the issues we have here? One, okay, I think Cain messed up. He shouldn't have brought, he should have brought an animal. He should have done a trade thing with Abel and say, you know, I'll give you a bunch of pomegranates if you can give me a lamb and I'll bring it before you. Um, because why? If that's what God had required, if that was the set up standard, then that's what you bring. You don't bring something else. And so a lot of people believe that's actually what it is. And there's a good case for that. Because what is it? When we decide to bring something else, what are we doing? When God says, bring before me a lamb, if it was to say that, bring before me a lamb slaughtered and we show up with a fruit basket. What is that saying to God? I know better. I, I have another plan. He'll, you'll be fine with this. You ever, have you ever been with someone who like you like ask for or you order something and they decide to order you something? You'll like this better. You're like, I will not. I actually hate this. I, I learned that because I, um, our friend was helping us move at one point and we were getting burritos and, um, and he, he told me what he wanted in the burrito and they said, it comes with guacamole. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah, sure. And, he's, and he opens it up. He's like, is there guacamole in this? And I'm like, yeah, man, isn't that awesome? He's like, this is like, baby snot like he anyway he's like I don't like guacamole and I'm like yeah I do you don't okay um I thought you would because I did that was messed up like it's it's assuming right and so they could be the Cain's like you know what you said to bring an animal I I don't have an animal and, and you know what the, this is where you could be a master at making excuses easy for Abel he's got all kinds of Sheep, I don't have sheep. What am I supposed to do? You know, how, how am I supposed to bring this before? It doesn't matter. This is what obedience, this is what faith looks like. You do what God has asked you to do because you trust that there's a reason you might not see. Years ago, we were on a mission trip and, um, and I got this really weird feeling on a bus. It was in Italy. And I, there was this guy that I saw and I was like, my spidey senses were, were kind of like tingling. And I said, there were some girls on the trip that were like high schoolish age. And I was like, get over here, come over here. And they're like, no. I'm like, yes, come over here. Like, trust me. And they're like, I don't, I don't really, whatever. And, and then like, they ended up not. <laughs> and then the guy did something kind of creepy and it was like really a bummer, right? And it's like, I saw something you didn't see. 
I saw that this guy was weird and I could see the way he was looking and I could see this is not a good thing. And it was ended up like a thing and he gets off and whatever. And we didn't get a chance to confront him or anything and get thrown into jail in Italy. But I just remember thinking like this, there's some, there's some things you can't see. If you have children, you know this. Why can't I do that? Because it's a terrible idea. It's not a good idea at all. Like, why can't I touch the fire like we talked about before? Because it'll burn your skin so bad. And so the, the idea of faith is I believe and trust that you know better, even when it doesn't make any sense to me, even when I, you know, I, I have all the reasons not to believe. And that's what Abraham did, right? We've talked about so many times. Abraham, you're going to have a baby. How? He said, just, uh, you will. And he's like, okay. And did he waver? Yeah, he wavered a little bit. He ended up trusting God and he has a baby at 100 years old. So the trusting, no matter what. So that would be the thing with, with Cain. I don't care what it takes. Don't make all the excuses because we're so good at that and justifying our position. I don't have a sheep. He, you know what? This will probably work out. So that's what some people believe the issue would be. Other people um, believe that it's the order in which they give these things. So uh, what do we see that's interesting about Abel's, right? Or Cain's. So Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Sounds kind of standard. I, I, I thought it was odd. It said the fruit of the ground. Um, could, could be that he's pulling fruits from the ground. Could be there's fruit on the ground, which is like the leftover kind of stuff, right? What do we see about Abel's? Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. What's that? The greatest, the best, the most valuable. Because you know, the first, especially in this culture, the firstborn was the most valuable. Like this was everything sat on the firstborn. And you have the first of the harvest. And this is what the Lord says, test me in bringing forth the first fruits. Test me in bringing forth the very best that you have. Like, because it's so easy to give like kind of the leftovers of the change tray, you know? I found this in between my seats. Can you use it, God? And he's like, thanks. I can. But like what Abel is doing, and, and this is why we're talking about Abel thousands and thousands of years later. He trusted God to give him his, of his very best. It seems like he didn't just bring the firstborn, he brought of the fat. He he brought the best cut of his most precious animal to the Lord. I'm giving you the very best that I have. So a lot of people believe it's actually, this is the thing. You know, I think it could be both. I think, I think clearly Cain negated what God had said. Uh, what we're going to see in a second here is that seemingly God made it very clear what he wanted from him. And so he knows it wasn't good. So what do we see? And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was, what, now what's Cain doing? He was very angry and his countenance fell. So he's chosen his own way. And now, why is he angry? Who's he angry at? Is he angry at God? Is he angry at himself? No, he's angry at his brother. Why? Because he did it the right way. He didn't want to be in the presence of someone who was doing it right and, and loving God with his whole heart. He didn't like that comparison. He's very angry at him. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So God is pleading with Cain, don't do it. Hey, don't do it. You know what? You knew that you brought the wrong thing to the table and you still know it. And the way you're handling this is really bad and it can all be made right, like right now, but you are right on the edge. And this is gonna become super disastrous in a second here. You're choosing your own way and now you're built, you're, you've built this whole argument and this whole philosophy in your head and now you've got it all up there and you're ready to follow through with this to the end. And he says, Cain, I see what's that look in your eye. Sin is waiting there. It's waiting, it's desires for you. God's trying to stop Cain from going down a road that would lead to more death and more destruction. What ends up happening, verse eight. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Premeditated murder, right? Eve tricked by the serpent. Maybe she didn't really know what she was doing. She absolutely uh, didn't trust God enough. Now we see a, a step in the progression. He does know. And God himself is saying, don't do it. Please don't do it, Cain. And what is, ends up happening, he kills his brother. He premeditated murder of his brother. I know best. I will do it my way. The, Cain's heart is steeped in arrogance and pride. Cain is his own God. So that even when you become your own God and, it's, and it happens easier than you think, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not my own God. I don't have a statue of myself in my house, you know, that I worship or whatever. It's a lot easier than you think because if you trust yourself over everything else, you've essentially made yourself your own God. It's a, you're, you're, you become, it's all about satisfying yourself and us. It's just me, it's me, me, me. And what's the result of that? When the real God speaks to you, you don't listen to him. You can't hear his voice anymore. And then arrogance, pride builds up. You think you know better, even though God is sitting there. And you've heard the story about how when your parents messed up, God found them out in their sin. And you think somehow you're gonna get away with killing your brother, that this would somehow make your life better. This is the folly of the human mind and sin and flesh. Somehow I'm going to make this work out. I know it doesn't usually, but for me, maybe it will. And I mean, if we're really honest, we do that a lot. I know it usually doesn't work out, but I think I've got a plan. I know God doesn't usually bless this, but he hasn't heard my reasoning. So then what happens? Verse, uh, verse nine, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? What an arrogant, snotty attitude to God. Can you see the progression of Cain? He comes before the Lord. He half-heartedly gives an offering. He gets told it's half-hearted. He's a victim now. I'm a victim. And so I've got to level the playing field. And so God says, don't do it, Cain. This is a really bad idea. Then he does it. And he's like, why are you talking to me about my brother? I don't care. I'm not my brother's keeper. You go find him. This is so gnarly, sin full grown. He believes he can say whatever he wants 
to God. He has become so deceived that he's forgotten who he's talking to. And as much as we can look down and man, there's so many principles for us here. We, 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 it's so easy to not. Anyway, verse 10. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. The result, here's the result. First of all, and this is good to know, God sees. God sees and he hears. This is the blood of, of his ground is crying out to me. The blood of your brother from the ground, it's crying out to me. This was all about jealousy. And now look where he's at. He's, he went from being jealous of his brother, doing something better than him, to full-blown murder and exile from the family. And it's really easy. When we, sometimes when you see people doing something really well, the people that are the easiest to criticize are the ones that are doing well. You try to find something wrong with them, you know? Oh, they probably have an issue here. They're probably like this, you know? Amos 5.10 says, they hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. This is what the wicked do. Proverbs 9.8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So what happens? Verse 13, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. I think, for, I think this is a sobering moment for Cain. We all know that feeling, right? When you're kind of getting, you're, you're, you're in sin, you're kind of like feeling cocky and arrogant and all of a sudden you slam your face on the ground and you wake up and you go, oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I done? And I think that's what Cain is like, ah. But you wanna, you wanna know why this happened? Cain was intoxicated by, sin, by anger. He was intoxicated by it. He like loved it. He was like, he was ruminating in it and he had a plan and then he used that plan. So he was, he was being fully subduced. He was the, under the influence of anger. And then comes, now all of a sudden, boom, he can see it for what it is. And so he's crying out to God for mercy. What happens? And the Lord said to him, therefore, uh, therefore, whoever kills Cain, Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. What does God do? He still shows mercy. Is this incredible or what? This tells us a lot about the character of our God. And this tells you about what he, he thought about humanity and what he thinks about us. Not just us, but them too in the world. God is so exceedingly merciful and gracious. In fact, that's what people have issues with, with God. Yeah, he's not full of enough vengeance. He doesn't seem to handle things quickly enough or harshly enough for me. God's still gracious despite his sin. Verse 16, then Cain went out of the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden, further east. It's a step, it's a progression they're going to see in Genesis, they keep moving further east, further and further away, further and further away. 
So if you're thinking about buying the house east, don't. It's going the wrong direction. I'm just kidding. So further east, further east, further east. And, and we'll see the progression of Cain's family. It goes from Adam and Eve making a mistake, messing up. When God confronts them, they're humbled, they're scared, they're sketched out. Cain, when he's confronted, he's like, why are you talking to me about it? You figure it out. What, a, what, what arrogance, what pride. Well, a few generations later, we have Lamech. What's he all about? And he, he, he brags. He brags about killing a man for wounding him from a young man for hurting me. Like he, he, was, he was completely wicked and it continues on. And of course we know it's not very long before we'll be at Noah. But it's a progression that keeps on going and this is where sin gets us. And what is sin again? It's really, it's un, a misalignment of understanding what we believe or, or, or misaligning faith in God, trusting him, believing in ourselves, making it, I know better than him. So back to our text here uh, from Hebrews. By faith, Abel offered a, God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness and he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and through it, being dead still speaks. Um, so I wanted to look at Abel's legacy of faith. Uh, first of all, Abel, his name, it means breath or vapor. So what do you think we, uh, like life is but a vapor? It's quick. It's not there for long. You know, be careful what you name your children, right? He wasn't there for long. It was like a breath, a vapor. Um, but Abel believed God. Like he trusted God. He loved God. Because we see he brings his very best to God. He's not trying to make concessions. It it's, would seem, especially the testimony we know, God knows the heart. But because this is, brought up multiple times in the New Testament, Abel loved God. Abel trusted God. And this offering was pure. So pure that it absolutely bothered his brother. You guys remember when Stephen's dying and, he's, and it says his face is like the face of an angel and he's speaking the truth and he's so in love with God and he's asking God to forgive the people that are killing him and they're closing their ears because they can't even handle it. They can't handle looking at him. And so they're just stoning him to death. They're trying to just get rid of him. They can't handle how pure he was. So Abel believed and trusted God. Abel worshiped God in the way that he asked to be worshiped. Love does this. Love, love figures out, to, you don't buy the gift for your friend or your wife or your, you know, whatever, your spouse, your whatever, your parent, you don't buy the gift that you want for you. That's not very loving, right? When it's their birthday, you don't decide to go where you want to go. You go where they want to go, even if you hate that place, right? So if you don't know this, these are free tips, by the way. Um, like, it's like, okay, it's your birthday. Um, oh, I really want to go here. I'm going to be really excited about that. No, you know what? I got a better idea. Let's go to the place you don't like for me. Well, that's the idea is Abel loved God. And because of his love for God, Abel worshiped God. And that's always where it starts, right? A love, a trust for God. And then it leads to a worship of God. If we just try to worship and our heart's not connected, that's why even when leading worship, 
I'm not a worship leader, but I'm filling in for a moment, you know. But I, 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 my thought is I really want us to connect these songs to not just go, oh, I figured out the harmony on that, you know, but to go, uh, this, this, is, this is my song to the Lord. This is my connection to the Lord. And it's because of, as I'm hearing these words, and a lot of these songs have amazing words about the redemption of God and the plan throughout history, how you know, he's made a way as I'm, and, and through the, the blood of Jesus, how we now have been made new, new creations, born again in, in Jesus. As we listen to these words, as we sing these words, as we, as we proclaim them, our hearts are stirred and moved and then we worship. It's the love that's within us that we then give to the Lord. That's the offering that's sweet to him. And I love this about God. He's not into fake, phony stuff. I was at an event this week and we, we had a prayer meeting beforehand and um, the guy who was leading it said, hey guys, we're gonna pray. And he said, let's, let's not have like rambling, meandering prayers. Let's like pray what we wanna pray and then move it, go. <laughs> He's basically saying like, don't just pray to make it sound like you're praying. Pray, pray what you really are, feel like you're supposed to pray. And I'm like, yeah. It's a room of like 30 pastors. You know, who knows how long we'd be praying if guys were like trying to set up a three-point sermon in their, in their prayer. Which brings me to my conclusion, Lord, in this prayer, you know. It was like popcorn just straight to it. Lord, we need you. We're desperate for you. There's people out there that, that are dying and they're looking for hope. This, this is the kind of prayer, you know. But where does that move from? It's moved from a heart. Abel's heart was close with God. He was trusting God. He believed God. Because of that, he worshiped God in the way he wanted him to be worshiped. His lifestyle followed his heart. And that will always be the case. You try and fix your lifestyle with your heart still being jacked up, forget it. It will not last. That's why dating someone is different than marrying someone. Because dating, you could pull it off. You know, you could try and be the best, oh, I'm whatever. And then you get married and you're, it's all of a sudden, it's, it's all out there. That's what you really like. So believe God and the belief and the trust and the love of God and faith in God brought him to worship in the way that God wants him to worship. And then what else happens from his legacy? He left, he, or uh, his legacy faith, he left a legacy. His, his faith actually left behind a legacy that breath, that vapor, it lasted way beyond people who lived super long lives. You know, if you go through Genesis, you see some people living like 900 plus years, Methuselah 969 years. But what's the fruit? Abel had a very short life. But what do we see? This guy made it in the hall of faith. Spoken about often. Also, Jesus spoke about in Matthew 23 and Luke 11. Matthew 23, verse 33, uh, serpents, brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. So Abel was the first martyr. 
Jesus mentions him as righteous Abel. God saw it. You know, what, the out, what, the man, what man sees, what man perceives, we're getting duped all the time. But God sees. God knows. He doesn't neglect to reward. He doesn't neg- neglect to correct and chasten and judge in due season. God sees the inward man. Have you ever been someone you knew really, really well and you thought really highly of them or so you thought and then they did something horrendously out of control? Like, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I knew that guy. And there's always the people that didn't really know him and they're like, I kind of had a feeling. And you're like, no, you didn't. So either you did and you're a coward and never said anything to anyone or you didn't and you just want to be the, "Uh, yeah, I knew that guy or girl. But we're, we can be deceived by people. And we can deceive people, but we cannot deceive God. He knows and he rewards. Abel's life was short. We, we, he never speaks in the Bible. We never get an actual word from him. Only his blood speaks. But he left behind this beautiful legacy. His, his blood, and here's the other interesting thing. His blood... It was connected to condemnation. So for, right from the beginning, here we see this story of a, a man's blood that's been spilled. And it's the culmination of sin. This is the first murder. And so we have from Abel, condemnation, to Jesus bringing redemption with his blood spilled. He was part of the story of Jesus. He was a placeholder in the big picture. Hebrews 12, 24. To Jesus, the mediator. So we'll be here in a little while to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than the things, uh, better things than that of Abel. So what's the type? It's like the, it's the type of what is to come. This is what sin had done. Takes a good man and kills him. What does Jesus do? The greatest man that ever lived willingly dies and then rises again from the dead. The blood of Abel was shed. Uh, and, and, and you think back to uh, Tony Evans had really good points on this. He said, back in the day, it was one animal for one guy. So he's like, Abel kills an animal for himself before God. You know? And then we see um, Passover, one animal per house. And then we see Day of Atonement, an animal for the people. Right? And then Jesus one animal for everything, for everybody. So that's the difference from the old covenant to the new. And, and as, as the author of Hebrews just keeps saying, you needed to keep doing these sacrifices. Jesus did it once and for all. So that's your sin, past, present, future, all of it, covered in the blood of Jesus. Abel's blood wasn't in vain. Even though it seems like it, even though it seems like sin and death won, no, Abel's a legend in faith because of his love for God. Even though it was short, he went out with a bang. (laughs) He honored God with his life. So we ask ourselves, what part do we play in this redemptive story of history? How do we leave behind, in a sense, a legacy of faith? Well, we come in line with what God has already done. 
That's the main thing. We're not creating anything new. We, what did Abel do? He wasn't out to be an innovator. He was just trusting God. He was believing in the provision that was made for him. What's the provision made for us? Jesus. How do we become Cain's? We think there's another way. And then when we're told there isn't another way, we become belligerent and we start shaking our fists at God. And you go, yes, that's what the world does. If we're not careful, it's what we do. I don't like the way you do that anymore. I'm gonna start adding in my own little take on this. What's our response to this? We fall humbly before a God who is so gracious and merciful to forgive or not forgive, to, to, to show mercy towards Cain and not wiping him out completely right off the bat. If there was anyone that would deserve it, it'd be him. But now we have a God that, that sent his son to die on the cross, not for just the ables of the world that seemed like a good guy, but for the guys who were killing him, that were part of murdering him, that were doing the Cain type of stuff out of vengeance. He also died for them. How do we know that? The apostle Paul was just like that. I don't like your message. It's messing up with my mind. You must be dealt with. And we might be, he might be the greatest believer that, that ever lived. Like one of the most known, you know, used by God, written large portion of the New Testament. But to show that God can save to the uttermost. And we have a good God, guys. He, he sees, even when you think he doesn't, and he's always looking to redeem. He's looking for ways to bring this about, to bring forth redemption. Sin, chapter three. Yes, but let me tell you, there's gonna be one that's gonna crush the head of that serpent. Abel, yes, he dies. You won't hear the last of Abel because I haven't forgotten about him, so I'm not gonna let you forget about him either. And Abel will be a picture of what is to come in some sense, who is righteous, completely righteous, and yet slaughtered for his righteousness. People didn't like that Jesus was righteous. They didn't like that he was God, that he was claiming to be God. They, they could find no fault in him except for the fact that they didn't like what he was saying. He did, they, he was... Righteous to the T. They hated him, though, for it. But his blood didn't stay in the ground. His blood rose. I mean, he rose again. And now it's his blood that covers us. That's why when we have communion, we're reminded of the blood and the body of Jesus for all of us. So that we, we keep the gospel centered, center of the gospel in everything we do. This, the whole book, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole thing is pointing to Jesus right from the beginning, completely to the end. It's all about Jesus. And the more you see it, the more you see it, like the magic eye book. Whoa, there's a beach ball, you know? I, I can see it. More, more we look, the better we look, the more we gaze, the more we're looking in amazement, the more we're expecting to see, the more we see God's plan of redemption moving throughout history. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to SteadfastCarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.